0: Man, Like I said, we'll have special prayer time at the end of the service. And, uh, of course, we need to be in prayer for all of the Christians that are in Afghanistan right now. Uh, I'll mention that here in a little bit uh, at the end of our service. But uh, tonight we're going to look in 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7. And as we look at the Davidic covenant, we talked about kind of an introductory, introductory remarks to the, the Davidic covenant two weeks ago. Um, tonight we're going to kind of look at the terms of the covenant. And some might even call this the second coming of David, and that'll make sense as we look at this covenant tonight. Uh, but we're looking at the terms of the covenant that is given in 2 Samuel chapter number 7 and verse number 8. Uh, the Bible says, Now therefore, so shalt thou say unto my servant David, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took thee from the sheep coat, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people, over Israel. And I was with thee whithersoever thou wentest and have cut off all thine enemies out of thy sight and have made thee a great name like unto the name of the great men that are in the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more. Neither shall the children of wickedness afflict them anymore as before time. Which I personally think that that has partially been fulfilled since 1948. And is continually being fulfilled even as we speak tonight. Verse number 11. And as since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel. And have caused thee to rest from all thine enemies. Also the Lord telleth thee that he will make thee an house. And when thy days be fulfilled and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers. I will set up thy seed after thee which shall proceed out of thy bowels. And I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. But my mercy shall not depart away from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee. And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee uh, he says thy throne shall be established forever according to all these words and according to all this vision so did Nathan speak unto David. Nathan the prophet is told by God to say all of these things to David. David's given this covenant and so we're going to look at tonight the terms we just read of this covenant and uh, this covenant is established by God with David and he makes three primary promises to him. First God's promising to David that his house, his physical line of descent, his descendants would endure forever. Uh, we see this in verse 16. It's also repeated in 2 Chronicles chapter 21, verse 7. Psalms 89, which we're going to look at here in a little bit, but Psalms 89, verse 3 and 4, verse 36. He promises, first of all, that his house would endure forever. Number two, God promised that David's kingdom would never pass away permanently. We see that again in verse 16. So here, God guarantees that although the kingdom might not function at all times, like it's not functioning tonight, it would always have the potential of being restored to its full role. we see that in many passages in the Old Testament. But God makes this initial um, a term of the covenant with David here through uh, Nathan the prophet in 2 Samuel chapter seven. Uh, thirdly, God promised that David's throne. So we're talking now about the ruling authority that David is exercising would never pass away permanently. Again, in verse 16, assuring that a royal descendant of David, David's offspring, David's seed, David's son, would always be available to exercise ruling authority when circumstances permitted because of this covenant. We see that again in 2 Chronicles 7, verse number 18. Uh, Jeremiah 33, verse 17, uh, Psalms 89, verse 3 through 4. So those are the three primary um, uh, terms of the covenant that God makes with David. Now, in my, my study Bible, Schofield Bible, let me share you with what Schofield says about this uh, covenant. He says, this covenant upon which the glorious kingdom of Christ of the seed of David according to the flesh is to be founded secures the following a Davidic house, so this deals with his posterity, his family, a throne, that's his royal authority, a kingdom that deals with his fear of rule, and the fact that it's perpetual, it's forever. This fourfold covenant has but one condition and that's disobedience. The Disobedience of the Davidic family is to be visited according to God with chastisement, but not to do away entirely with the covenant. Again, he has here 2 Samuel seven fifteen, as we just read, Psalms 89, uh, verse 20 through 37, Isaiah 24, verse five, Isaiah 54, verse three. The chastisement upon the house of David fell first in the division of the kingdom under Rehoboam. And finally, in the captivity, and we know those captivities that followed, for example, 2 Kings chapter 25, verse one through seven. Since that time, but one king Of the Davidic family has been crowned at Jerusalem he was crowned with a crown of thorns but the Davidic covenant confirmed to David by the oath of Jehovah and was renewed to Mary in the angelic message of Gabriel is immutable and the Lord God will yet give to that thorn crowned one the throne of his father David how do we know that we'll look at a couple of those passages tonight Luke chapter 1 Acts chapter 2 Acts chapter 15 so basically he's saying the same thing here that that this is the the stipulation of a covenant that would be permanent that it would never pass away it's basically an unconditional covenant except for one thing and that is disobedience and so God says as long as you obey everything will be alright but if you disobey he didn't say I'm doing away with the covenant he said if you disobey me and disobey this deal, this covenant, this, uh, uh, the conditions that he's given him here, the promises of God, he says, if you disobey it, he said, I'm going to have to punish your descendants. And we know if you've studied the Old Testament, you know that that's all come to pass. God did in fact punish the descendants of David because after Solomon, in fact, by the end of Solomon's reign, Solomon has already turned his heart away from serving God alone. So God begins to chastise Israel, and God chastises them through a famine, uh, through sword, through pestilence, things of that nature, through uh, a captivity ultimately as they are dispersed, uh, and so there's no longer a king sitting on the throne in Jerusalem, a physical throne or a physical king, All those we see in this Davidic covenant, we looked at our last study with it, Jesus fulfills this spiritually, and he will fulfill it physically as well. Now, there's some major issues that people have with this Davidic covenant. Uh, The genealogies of Matthew chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 3 indicate that Jesus is the physical descendant of David. Now, we know he can't be the physical descendant of David through both Mary and Joseph because Mary and Joseph both weren't his parents. Mary was his mother. Joseph was not his biological father. You say, Brother Ben, you still believe in the virgin birth of Jesus? You better believe I do. Joseph was not the father of Jesus. He was the stepfather, I guess we could say, of Jesus. He was not the biological father of Jesus Christ. Uh, And so the angel Gabriel announced that God would give Jesus the throne of his ancestor David. Look in Luke chapter 1 in the New Testament. So we know that this has to be fulfilled through Jesus because of the message that is given to Uh, uh, to Mary and to Joseph at the birth of Jesus. Luke chapter 1 and verse 31. Luke chapter 1 and verse 31. It says, Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. There are seven shalls that are in this passage. He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. That did not happen in full entirety in the first coming, the first advent of Jesus Christ. So either Gabriel was telling the truth or he was not telling the truth. Well, he was telling the truth. It's just Jesus' ministry is not complete in his first coming. Uh, There's still the second coming of Jesus Christ. And a lot of passages in the Bible that are prophetic about Jesus contained the first coming and the second coming in the same passage. Sometimes in the same sentence, sometimes separated by just a comma, not even a period in between uh, the first coming and the second coming. And we see both of that in verse 31, 32, and 33 of Luke chapter number one. The same thing happens over in the book of Acts chapter two, where Peter is declaring that God had made an oath uh, to David that the fruit of his loins His descendants, according to the flesh, would raise up Jesus Christ and sit on the throne. That's over in Acts chapter 2, verse 30. So Peter knew that that would be fulfilled. Uh, Mary and Joseph, they knew that would be fulfilled through the message of Gabriel. Uh, We see in the book of Isaiah, like we talked about in our last study back in Isaiah chapter 9, look back at the same idea with what you see in Luke chapter 1. Look in Isaiah chapter 9. The same thing. You find the first coming. And the second coming in the same passage. Isaiah chapter number 9 and verse number 6. Here's the birth of Jesus. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. So that's his first birth. But notice there's just a colon here. And then it says, And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. We know that that's all fulfilled in the first coming. But now the government being upon his shoulder, that didn't happen in the first coming. And look at the verse number seven. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Well, Jesus didn't come to establish a government. He didn't rule on the throne of David. He didn't go and and, and kick Caesar out. He didn't go and kick Herod out. They nailed him to a cross. He didn't wear a crown of gold. He wore a crown of thorns. But it says, shall be no end upon the throne of David. There's not one indication that Jesus ever went and sat on the throne of David in his 33 and a half years on this earth and upon his kingdom to order it, to establish it with judgment, with justice from henceforth forever, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of the host will perform this. So Isaiah is prophesying the same thing, same thing Peter did, same thing Gabriel said, same thing David understood, same thing that was in the covenant. So through these significant statements, the Bible indicates that God gives three major promises to David in the Davidic covenant, and they're fulfilled ultimately in Jesus Christ. Now, there's some major issues, though, that are related to this covenant that deals with the when and the hows and all of that of God's promise to David and how it'll be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Now, I'll try to be as brief and as... You know, I don't want to bore you tonight, but I've got to share this with you because these are the three primary views. Uh, Some propose that Jesus Christ and all of these prophecies uh, is fulfilling these promises now in this age, even as I speak, before his second coming. So all those prophecies about his government, all this about the throne of David, he's fulfilling it now in his present rule over the church in the hearts of people. I've heard this a dozen times, more than a dozen times. Uh, I've had people come up to me before and say, uh, Brother Ben, but I believe that God is ruling, Jesus is ruling now. And I'll say, how? And they'll say, He's ruling the hearts of men and women and those that accept Him and receive Him. That's kind of their thinking and logic with this, where they turn all of these, what seems to be, and what I believe, literal prophecies, they spiritualize them. And see, as long as you spiritualize the Bible, then none of it really means what it says. You can make it mean anything that you want to make it mean. Because you spiritualize it. So they spiritualize it. They do the same thing with the second coming. They don't believe in a literal second coming. So they'll say that uh, the second coming of Jesus is when somebody receives him as the Lord and Savior. He comes into your heart and you've now accepted him. And so when Jesus said, I will come again. Or when, uh, you know, uh, we're to wait for God's son from heaven. Or, uh, you know, that he'll descend with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God and all that. They don't believe. None of that's literal. That's all figurative It's all spiritualized or that it happens when you get saved. So they believe that Jesus is ruling now on the throne of David, but it's all spiritualized. It's just in human hearts. That's the main argument against all of this. Number two, others believe that Jesus Christ will fulfill these promises in eternity future after this present earth that we're on tonight will be destroyed at the second coming. And according to this view, the future kingdom that God foretold in the Bible over which Jesus Christ is going to rule will never be a reality during this present earth's existence, but that doesn't work with all scripture either. And in fact, it should be noted that these two views agree that Christ will never reign on a literal, physical, visible earthly kingdom. Both those views have it all someplace other than earth. It's not physical. It's not real. The third view on this is uh, by contrast, is that Jesus Christ is going to fulfill these promises in the future when he returns to this earth at the second coming. And when he returns, he will establish a literal, physical, visible, earthly, political kingdom where he's going to rule for a thousand years and for eternity on this, uh, on this earth. He's going to rule from Jerusalem. It's going to literally take place. That's where I stand tonight. And that's what I believe the entirety of the body of Scripture points towards. There's too many scriptures to deny this and to spiritualize everything. The Bible makes it clear and is supported by the whole body of scripture that this is not something to be figurative or spiritualized, or it is a literal prophecy that will literally be fulfilled. Here's a good case, uh, you know, a, a, a test for it. Here in Isaiah chapter 9, verse number 6, for unto us a child is born unto us, a son is given. Did that happen literally or figuratively? It happened literally, right? Jesus was literally born, well then why would the rest of it not be literal? Why would God give you a literal prophecy and a figurative one in the same sentence, just to confuse you? That doesn't make sense, that goes against the nature of God. God's not the author of confusion. He's not here to try to mess you up, uh, you know, uh, theologically and doctrinally and biblically, and so that doesn't make any sense. If jesus came literally the first time and the same prophecy that says he's coming literally the first time contains prophecy that that wasn't fulfilled in his first coming then it has to by i mean that's just logic it has to be fulfilled so if it hasn't been fulfilled it has to be in the future and that's what i believe i believe that it's all moving towards that in fact i think what you see in the news right now with afghanistan and everything else you think you know people think that's just a political move or that's just you know a dumb move or something on a Uh, you know, a political party. No, everything is spiritual. Everything in this world is spiritual. Even physical things are spiritual. And the devil is working behind the scenes and God's working behind the scenes and everything is like a chessboard. Those pieces have to be in place in order for you to make a move. And all those pieces are beginning to fall into place and we're seeing this all happen around the Middle East where God says everything's going to wind up where all this stuff is going to be fulfilled. So the distinctiveness of the throne of David is what I want us to consider next. And so contrary to the first view, several biblical facts indicate that the throne of David cannot be equated to the throne of God in heaven. Meaning the throne of David was not in heaven, it's on earth. And the throne of God is in heaven, it's not on earth. One's on earth, one's in heaven. They're not the same. How do we know that? Well, first, several descendants of David sat on his throne. Solomon sat on his throne. You go down the lineage the next son, then the next king, and the next king. But only one of his descendants, Jesus Christ, sits at the right hand of God the Father. They don't all sit at the right hand of God the Father. Only one does, and that's Jesus. Number two, David's throne was not established before his lifetime. By contrast, because God has always ruled over his creation, his throne in heaven was established long before David's throne was established. That's not an afterthought of God. That happened before David was ever born. Look in Psalms chapter number 93. Psalms 93 in verse number 1. The Lord reigneth and is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed with strength wherewith he hath girded himself. The world also is established that it cannot be moved. Thy throne is established of old. Thou art from everlasting. God's throne is before David's throne, not after, not at the same time. And so God has always ruled over David's throne before David's. Number three, decades after Jesus ascended to the throne of God in heaven at the right hand of God the Father, he, uh, uh, while he walked on this earth, he drew a clear distinction between his throne and God's throne in heaven. There's the kingdom of God, there's the kingdom of heaven. Jesus often referred to two different thrones in two different places that are not the same. We see that in Revelation chapter 3. Look in Revelation chapter 3 tonight. Trying to show you that these are not the same thing like some try to teach and believe. And they try to make it one and the same. They're, they're separate. They're not the same. Um, somebody said logic is, uh, teaches us that things that are different are not the same. i mean that's simple. Well, if these things are different, they can't both be the same. Revelation chapter 3, and look in verse number 21. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also came and am set down with my Father in his throne. Jesus said there's two different things. It's in heaven, but he says you can come and sit with me in my throne, which is not the throne of God, and yet Jesus is God. So there are two separate thrones. There's a clear distinction. God promised to give Jesus the throne of David. We already read that in Luke chapter 1. So it can be concluded tonight that Jesus' throne is David's throne. There's a difference between God's throne and Jesus' throne. In fact, I believe this so much that the great white throne is God. Now Jesus is God. But that's the great white throne judgment where God is going to sit and judge according to Revelation. But as believers, we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We're, and, and God is, is Jesus and Jesus is God. But they, God is going to judge the lost world uh, uh, there at the great white throne judgment where the books will be open. And if your name's not the Lamb's book of life, you're going to be thrown in the lake of fire. But as believers, we're not going to stand before the great white throne judgment. We're standing before the judgment of Jesus Christ. At the judgment seat of Christ, we're not going to be sentenced and condemned. We're going to be rewarded or lose rewards. They're not the same type of judge. They're not the same type of judgment. And the outcome is not the same. They're completely different. So there's the distinction that's there. Now, number four, David's throne was on earth. It wasn't in heaven. By contrast, God, whose throne is in heaven, exercises his ruling authority... From heaven. Now, I'm not going to give you all the scripture for time's sake, but Psalms 103, 19, Isaiah 66, verse 1, Matthew 5, 34, Matthew 6, 9 through 10. I mean, there's a lot of these passages that tell us that there is a difference between God ruling in the heavens versus there's going to be an earthly rule. Now, you say tonight, you say, brother, man, what's the big deal? I mean, what, what does it really matter? It does matter with so many prophecies. So many prophecies, whether God's going to keep his word or he's not. I'm so thankful for that passage. You hear me say it all the time. But the Bible says, God is not a man that he should lie neither. The son of man that he should repent. Hath he said and shall he not do it? Hath he spoken and shall he not make it good? Uh, God, the Bible says, who cannot lie. If God says something, that's what these covenants are. These are a contract. This is a promise. And if God promises something, it does matter whether he's going to keep it or not. You see, if we serve a God that lies, then he's not God. If we serve a God that breaks his promises, then he's not God. Because God can't sin. And lying is a sin. And so if God's breaking his covenants and breaking his promises, if God's not fulfilling his word, then then God is not who we think he is. But I do believe tonight that God is exactly who we believe him to be. And so some of this has past fulfillment. Some of it has future fulfillment. And I believe we're on the edge of the future fulfillment. You say, Brother Ben, I've heard preachers say that. And my, uh, you know, I've heard that my whole life. And my grandfather said that he heard preachers say that. His grandfather. Well, you know what? When you say that, you just fulfill prophecy yourself. Because the Bible says in Second Peter, in the last days, there'll be scoffers walking after their own lust. Where's the promise of his coming? For all things continue since the Father fell asleep from the beginning of creation until now. They said the same thing. They said, oh, we've heard that our whole life. And yet look what's going on in the world tonight. I mean, I'm not getting into a lot of that prophecy in this study. But every single day I watch the news and read reports, I'm just shocked at what's going on in the world. I shouldn't be because I know that the Bible has to be fulfilled. But I don't think we realize what's going on in the world around us. It's happening quicker than you think. Uh, We talked about even earthquakes that are going on, Uh, the earthquake in Haiti. You know, there's an earthquake in Morganton the other day, yesterday, or was it yesterday or or, uh, Monday? Uh, An earthquake, I I asked my daughter Anastasia, I said, did you feel the earthquake? It's been on the news, centered uh, right around Morganton. She said, she was at the church working with the staff and she said, we felt it. And she said, we all ran outside because it was kind of shocking. And she said we ran outside, and she said there's a cemetery near the church. She said we kept watching the cemetery to see if the graves were going to open up, and uh, but earth, earthquakes in our backyard in Morganton. I mean the things that are going on around the world, uh, like we said, what's going on right now with, in Afghanistan. Did you see where China is threatening Taiwan tonight? And they're threat, they're 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 testing America to see what we're going to do if they want to go and take over Taiwan, and so. This stuff is going on all around us. And we can keep our head down in a hole like an ostrich in the ground. Or we can look to the word of God and say, praise God, scripture is being fulfilled. And the coming of Jesus is drawing nigh. We're getting closer than we think. In fact, the Bible says when you see these things come to pass, begin to come to pass, then lift up your head for your redemption draweth nigh. We're seeing these things begin to come to pass. It's happening. Even with Jerusalem and Israel, everything is being Just uh, It's amazing how everything is coming together for these scriptures to be fulfilled that could not have been fulfilled more than 70 years ago. But they can tonight because they're back in their homeland. They're still going back, but they're back like never before. And it's happening even as we speak tonight. So uh, the Bible calls it our blessed hope. We shouldn't fear it. We shouldn't look at it as something that's dreadful. We ought to be excited about the coming of the Lord. Um, I'm getting a little off my study tonight, but uh, right now, it breaks my heart, it really does, to think that there are Christians in Afghanistan that know they're going to die any day. You know that that they say that uh, the fastest growing church movement in the world is in, uh, the second largest is in Afghanistan. I believe the first is over around China. It's uh, one of the Asian countries um, But it's in Afghanistan is the second largest growing population of Christians right now in the world. It's not America. It's Afghanistan. And all these Christians right now have just been told, we know where you live, we know where your addresses are, and you're going to burn alive. We're going to kill every one of you. I saw in the news before I came to church this afternoon where if it's true, and I believe it is, I have no reason to believe it's not, But they're saying that they're even finding people out on the street and checking their cell phones. And if their cell phone has a Bible on it, on their cell phone, they're going to kill them. They're rounding them up for having a Bible, like a Bible app, on their cell phone. That's enough. They're going to kill them right now in Afghanistan. And here we are in America. You know, like I said Sunday, I'm not trying to be just negative, but I've got to be honest with you. I've got to be honest. And here, we got Christians being persecuted right now. We'll come, we'll feel like, don't come, we'll feel like it. You know, study the Bible we want to. I don't care. Maybe sing if I want to sing. Witness, you know. And around the world, people are being killed right now for their faith. And the Bible says that in the last days, persecution is going to arise. And you know, it could come to America. I mean, I pray to God it don't. Trust me, I pray. I've got kids in the mix too. I pray to God it don't. But it could. It certainly could. And so all I'm saying tonight is this shouldn't scare us. It ought to excite us to know that these things are being fulfilled. And it's happening closer and quicker than we think. Now the scriptures indicate again that, uh, that God's promises to David in the Davidic covenant will be fulfilled in Jesus Christ in the future. And it will happen in conjunction with his second coming. The second coming and the rapture are not the same thing. There's several things that are similar, but there's many things that are different. For example, the Bible says of the rapture that it's going to happen in the air. And it says of the second coming that Jesus is coming to the earth. One's in the air, one's on the earth. It's not the same. One, the rapture says he's coming for the church. The second coming, we're coming back with Jesus Christ. One he's coming for, one we're coming with. It's not the same thing. One says that we're going to go up uh, and and be a part of the marriage supper of the Lamb after we're raptured out. We're going to be called out, be at the marriage supper of the Lamb, and the second coming, there's no mention of a marriage supper there. We're coming back to rule and reign with Jesus Christ. I mean, there's many of these things that are not the same. They are different. The timing's different. The place is different. The, The results are different. So many of these things are different. So we're talking about the second coming. The rapture could happen at any moment. I personally don't believe the second coming can happen at any moment. I believe the rapture has to come before the second coming. And I believe the rapture takes place before the tribulation. We know the tribulation has to last seven years because the Bible makes that clear. That's not Baptist interpretation. That's not preacher Ben interpreting. The Bible says it'll be seven years in many places. So we know it's seven years. And I believe, if you look, in fact, even the way Revelation itself, I'm not even talking about other Old Testament prophecies, but you look at Revelation, just the way Revelation is written chronologically, he's coming at the end of the tribulation. That's when the second coming is going to take place. Well, that can't happen tonight because we, we have, we're not in the tribulation. I know it's all over. It's all over the Internet. It's all over. I, I see it's on Instagram. It's on Facebook. It's on TikTok. It's everywhere that we're in the tribulation now because there's a pandemic. We're in that. No, we're not. No, we're not. People say, well, this—you know, we're in one of the trumpets that's already blown. Folks, no. In fact, as bad as this pandemic is, there's been a whole lot worse in history. You ever heard of this thing called the Black Plague? Was that the tribulation then? Every time there's a major thing goes on, people automatically think this is the tribulation. It's not the tribulation, but we're getting close to it. We're getting close to it. I'll give you an example. We have season passes. Uh, for Carowinds, and uh, that's one of those things I wanted to be good to my daughter and do that for the family, and after I went there, I thought, that was a dumb mistake. Now I've got to come back again. Uh, But anyway, I got an email today that said we want to make an announcement that Carowinds will no longer be accepting cash anywhere in Carowinds, anywhere in the park, that it has to be digital currency, uh, credit card or something like that, Apple Pay, but they said, so that means if you want to go buy a hot dog, if you want to go get a, a, you know, a lemonade, you cannot use cash. Now, I know most of us don't use cash that much anymore. But if I would have told you that 20 years ago, you would have thought that that's crazy. That we live in a place, in, we live in America where cash is no longer legal tender. I mean, it says right on the money that you, anywhere money is, is you know, uh, exchanged, that this is to be used. And you can't use it now at gas stations. You can't, use. they're getting away from paper money. Everything's going into the digital currency world. It's all leading up to the Antichrist, the mark of the beast. You can't buy and sell without these things. And so uh, uh, anyway, that's all moving to the second coming. Now look in Matthew chapter number 25. Matthew chapter 25, Matthew 24, Matthew 25, are two of the greatest chapters in the Bible on the return of Jesus Christ, on the end times, on the second coming. They're not about the rapture. They're about the second coming. They're not about relieving Gentiles or the church. It's about Israel. But when it says uh, in chapter 24, for example, when shall these things be, what shall be the sign of thy coming in the world, when he talks about some of these signs, any of these things that are going on in our current situation They may not be rapture signs or second coming signs, but the fact that we're seeing them now means we're even that much closer to the second coming, so the rapture is even closer than we think. For example, when he says that there'll be many saying, I am Christ and shall deceive many, that's going on presently. Wars and rumors of wars, folks, is on the news tonight. It's on the news. Our soldiers are now being told that they're going to be sent back to Afghanistan. There's going to be fighting and all that. Uh, You know, they call it saber rattling and all that. Like I said, with China, you name it. Uh, when we see uh, nation rising against nation, when we see kingdom against kingdom and uh, famines and pestilences, we talked about that, uh, that even COVID, that's a pestilence. Those are, those are plagues. Those are viruses, earthquakes in diverse places. You can go to the U.S. geological uh, website uh, and look at a, a up to the minute map of the world and see the earthquakes and you can go in there all the way down to you know like a a one point something if you want to put that in or you can look at the larger ones and it's it's not just in the ring of fire I used to live in the ring of fire in Alaska and so we felt earthquakes all the time and saw volcanic eruptions it wasn't all that uncommon but it's not just in the ring of fire anymore that's why you have earthquakes out in Oklahoma. That's why we're having earthquakes now on the East Coast, something that's almost unheard of. You're having them now. You're seeing earthquakes happen all around the world. These are all signs that we're getting near. In fact, these are what I call birthing pains of the earth, of the second coming of Jesus Christ. The earth, Romans chapter 8 tells us, is groaning to be delivered. The world is groaning. There's going to be signs pointing towards... uh, Uh, the coming of Jesus Christ. The closer you get this coming, just like the closer the birthing pains to the child is going to be born, the more the contractions, the closer you get to the delivery. The more we see all these earthly contractions, the more it's pointing the nearness to the coming of Jesus Christ. But Matthew chapter 25 and verse number 31. Matthew 25 and verse number 31. When the Son of Man shall come in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory now let me ask you a question tonight where is he presently he's on a throne he's at the right hand of god but this says when the son of man shall come not where he is but when he comes and when he comes he's coming in his glory with all the holy angels with him then not presently then future shall he sit upon the throne of of his glory and before him, look at the next part, shall be gathered all nations. And he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divideth the sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. Then shall the capital K, king, say unto them on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom. Prepare from you from the foundation of the world, for I was hungered and he gave me meat. I was thirsty, he gave me drink. I was a stranger, he took me in naked and he clothed me. I was sick and he visited me. I was in prison and he came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer to him and said, Lord, when saw we thee hungered and fed thee or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger, took thee in or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king, capital K, Shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as you've done it the least of these my brethren, you've done it unto me. Then shall he say also unto them on his left hand, depart from me, ye cursed in everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. He goes on to say in verse 42 and verse 43, that the things that, that he asked for they didn't do. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee, verse 44, a hungered and thirst, and a stranger and naked or sick or in prison? did not minister unto thee then shall he answer unto them saying verily I say unto you inasmuch as ye did it not and the least of these ye did it not unto me and these shall go away into everlasting punishment but the righteous unto life eternal. Folks this is something that is not talking about heaven this is talking about a king this is talking about a throne this is talking about nations this is talking about nations that are going to be separated as uh, goat nations, as sheep nations. He's going to put his throne and his kingdom where it belongs in Jerusalem at the time. He says, When is this going to happen? When the Son of Man shall come in his glory with his holy angels with him. And he's going to sit upon the throne of his glory. That's all future. This is all future in connection with the covenant God gave to David. Now, Look in Zechariah chapter 14. It's one of those little minor prophet books, Zechariah chapter 14, in verse number 4. If you're in Matthew, you don't have to go too many pages to the left to get to Zechariah chapter 14. If you have a study Bible in chapter 14, you might have similar headings. Like here it says above chapter 14, a summary of the events at the return of the Lord in His glory, the battle of Armageddon. Uh, In verse number 4, where I want us to look at, above it in my Bible says, The visible return in glory physical changes in the land of Palestine. That's Israel. Here's the summary. Zechariah is prophetically talking about not the first coming, but the second coming of Jesus Christ. And his feet, that's Jesus, And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, Which is before Jerusalem on the east and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley and half the mountain and half of it toward the south. And ye shall flee the valley of the mountains. He says when Jesus comes back, his feet are going to touch the Mount of Olives. Look in verse number 9. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. Not heaven. Not heaven. Earth, In that day shall there be one Lord and His name one. Verse number 10 talks about Jerusalem. Verse number 12, Jerusalem. Verse number 11, Jerusalem. Verse number 14, Jerusalem. Jerusalem, 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 Jerusalem. Zechariah, as a prophet, said this is going to take place literally on a throne on earth On a mountain, you say, Brother Ben, do you really think that Jesus is going to put his foot on the Mount of Olives and split it? Absolutely. Absolutely. He ascended from there. He's coming back there. And when he touches down, it's going to split. And, in fact, I saw a study not long ago where they said that they have discovered there's a fault line that runs under the Mount of Olives. And that people didn't even know for centuries that it was there, but it's there Fault line or not, if God says it's going to split, it's going to split. But I thought it was interesting that they're saying now that they've discovered there's a fault line that runs under the Mount of Olives. And the Bible says it's going to split. And when it's split, it's going to open up what's called the King's Highway. And Jesus is going to go from the Mount of Olives like a beeline straight to Jerusalem. And when he does, he's going to rule on the throne. And in fact, in verse number 20, it says of Zechariah chapter 4, And in that day shall there be upon the bells of the horses holiness unto the Lord, and the pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar. Yea, every pot in Jerusalem and Judah shall be holiness unto the Lord. Hey, that's all future. It isn't present. And it wasn't happening when Jesus was there. When Jesus stepped on the Mount of Olives 2,000 years ago, it didn't split. He went there and he prayed. It didn't split open. There wasn't a great valley there. Verse number 5 of uh, Zechariah 14 says, And ye shall flee in the valley of the mountains, the valley of the mountains shall reach into Azal. Yea, ye shall flee like as ye fled from before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah. That's back in Amos chapter 1, king of Judah. And the Lord my God shall come and all the saints with thee. And it shall come to pass in that day that the light shall be clear nor dark, but it shall be one day. You read Zechariah, you're reading about something that is future. And it's connected with an earthquake. That means the greatest earthquakes are yet ahead. So in Psalms chapter 110, verse 1 through 2, we won't go there, but you can write it down for time's sake. The Messiah is going to sit at the right hand of his Father until it's time for him to rule. So the Messiah's rule as king will not begin until after his present session with the Father in heaven. Presently, he's at the right hand of God the Father. But when he descends, he's going to descend and take a throne a throne that was promised to David Jesus stated that he would sit on the throne of his glory as the son of man when the earth is regenerated, restored to its pre-fall condition after the curse of sin is lifted that's Matthew chapter 19 verse 28 that's Romans 8 verse 18 to 22 there's going to be a renovation of this earth by fire so God promised, remember that covenant with the with the with uh, the rainbow he'll not flood it again but he is going to punish the earth again and renovate it by fire just like putting metal into a, a melting pot and he's going to bring it forth like gold better than its original condition and when he does he's going to rule on a new heaven and a new earth um, for time's sake I guess I'll stop there but I will tell you this this is going to be fulfilled we've often mentioned Revelation 11 15 I want you to look there I'll give you one last place and the point I'm making we could go on and on and on the Bible is filled with these prophecies about David coming back that's why some people have went to the extent that they think that David is going to be resurrected to sit on the throne but I don't believe it's going to be David literally he's dead well you know where his tomb is that's what Peter says there in the book of Acts but Jesus is going to be the fulfillment of this covenant. In Revelation chapter 11, in verse number 15, as we often say here, all scripture, all of this promise, all this Davidic covenant is all pointing to this one event. Verse 15 the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And folks, Jesus is at the right hand of God. And I know nothing happens outside of the knowledge of God. But don't tell me tonight that if Jesus is ruling, like some of these others believe, he's ruling presently, that the world would be doing what it's doing tonight. If he's ruling tonight, there's not going to be little girls in Afghanistan begging to be saved because they know their captors are going to kill them and, and do worse. Some, there's some things worse than death. And they're out there crying right now. While we sit in here, that's not the Lord reigning where he's going to reign with the rod of iron. That's future. When the Lord reigns, you're not going to have all this Satanism. In fact, Revelation chapter number 19. We're going to stop with this. Revelation 19. there just a second well I don't want Revelation 19 I'm looking for something just a second Revelation 20 let's look there Revelation 19 is getting everything lined up for Revelation 20 but notice Revelation 20 verse number 2 and he laid hold on the dragon that old serpent which is the devil and Satan and bound him A thousand years cast him in the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled and after that he must be loosed a little season well quick question is Satan still troubling the nations tonight well he sure is and he's still tempting people he's still uh, causing well I shouldn't say causing people to sin I don't think the devil can cause anybody to sin but he can tempt them to sin Uh, But uh, Paul says that Satan hindered him in his ministry Uh, We see that over and over again in the New Testament In the church epistles So we got a problem there If the Bible says that he's already bound As some believe And he's still doing what he's doing Then he's got a mighty long chain And here it says that he won't deceive the nations For a thousand years It mentioned a thousand years twice in those two passages Uh, If you would look in verse number 4 uh, that they're going to be beheaded during the tribulation for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again Under the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed is he that hath part in the first resurrection for such... On such the second death hath not power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Verse number 7, And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations, which in the four corners of the earth, etc. And so that's going to happen until he's finally and completely cast in the lake of fire forever and ever. Six times in this one chapter, chapter 20, six times. It says a thousand years. When Jesus comes and reigns, he's going to reign a thousand years. While he reigns a thousand years, Satan's going to be bound a thousand years. It's called the day of the Lord, singular. And yet it lasts a thousand years. Well, no wonder it's a day. Psalms 90 verse 4 and, uh, and, and uh, 2 Peter 3 tells us that a thousand years to man is as but one day to God. When this thousand years takes place, things are gonna be different on this earth. There's gonna be dramatic changes in nature. There's gonna be dramatic changes in uh, in the, the heavens, the, the temperature of the sun, the light of the sun, the light of the moon. Uh, you'll have animals that will be uh, living in ways that they don't live now. The animal kingdom that is uh, carnivorous are gonna be going back to a vegetarian type diet. Uh, the lion, the Bible says, we eat straw like an ox. Uh, a serpent, we had one in the church, by the way, today. Uh, a serpent will not bite someone and be harmed. Um, we, we find that the wolf uh, will lay, a, chi, a child can lay beside a wolf and not be harmed. And lead a bear and there won't be harmed. And there's going to be uh, diseases and deformities are going to be gone. Uh, the restoration of the longevity of life is going to be restored. In Isaiah 65 Verse 20 through 22. So many of these things that are said to happen are not happening now, have not happened in the past. So they have to have future fulfillment. They will have future fulfillment. Jesus is the fulfillment of David's seed sitting upon the throne forever and forever and ever. And you say, Brother Ben, then why is it not happening tonight? Because God said there in 2 Samuel chapter 7, He said this is a perpetual covenant. It's unconditional and that it's eternal. But he said the stipulation is if you disobey, then there's going to be chastisement. Israel's been chastised because of their disobedience. And their greatest chastisement, by the way, is future during the tribulation. That's why it's called the time of Jacob's troubles. And when God deals with Jacob, deals with Israel, at the end of it, though, they're going to repent. They're going to receive their Messiah, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And he's going to go in like he did on Palm Sunday. But this time when he goes into the throne, he's not going to be crucified. He's going to rule and reign for a thousand years. Uh, That's kind of in a nutshell the Davidic covenant. I know there's a lot more I could give you tonight. But for time's sake, we'll stop there. And uh, we'll finish our study of the covenants, Lord willing, next Wednesday night. As we move to our time of prayer, as I've been saying, let's remember... um, the situation in Afghanistan.